Welcome to The Reformed Deacon, a casual conversation with topics specifically designed to help local Reformed deacons. There are nearly a thousand deacons in the OPC alone, so let's take this opportunity to learn from and encourage one another. We're so glad you could join us. Let's jump into our next episode. Hello, my name is Chris Cashin, and I serve as pastor of Trinity Reformed OPC in Lanham, Maryland, and I'm also a, a member of the OPC's Committee on Diaconal Ministries. I'm excited about today's podcast, and with me today is Reverend Charles Biggs. Morning. How are you, Charles? Doing well, thank you. Charles served as a pastor of Catoctin Covenant Presbyterian Church in Percival, Virginia, for many years. How many how many years did you serve, uh, brother? Right at eighteen, I was I was privileged to plant the church back in two thousand three, and then uh, served there until I became the regional home missionary in two thousand twenty two. We're so thankful for your service at Catoctin. Uh, that church is a blessing, I know. And now serving as regional home missionary, uh, quite uh, uh, quite the change, but also quite a blessing for the Presbyterian, for the church at large. Today, uh, Charles and I will be discussing a short passage in Scripture, uh, one that uh, deacons are certainly familiar with. And uh, we want to just take a, a bit of time and open it up. It's going to be Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 8. This is a little bit new from this day forward on the podcast. We want to take some time from time to time to take an in-depth look at passages like this one uh, to strengthen a deacon's understanding and, and purpose of his office. And so we plan to invite some of our guests to open up scriptures which have particular application for the work of the Reformed deacon. And this will be our start. So, Charles, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for being with us. This is a great blessing. So, Charles, if you would start uh, with the reading of the passage, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I'd be happy to. This is reading from the English Standard Version, and I'll read chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Brother, would you uh, pray for us as we seek to open up God's word? 
Our Father and our God, we thank you that you're the God who promises to always be with us, that uh, you are our God and we are your people. And we thank you that you tell us, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You tell us that we're precious in your eyes and honored and loved. And we thank you that uh, we see this fully realized uh, in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, as you are ascended and throned, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords, that you're the head of the church, your body, uh, that you are the Lord of all. We thank you that you are full of grace and the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us as we look at this passage together, that we would uh, ultimately glorify you uh, in and through it, that we would uh, see your good work ultimately and what you're doing in promise, keeping your promise to build the church, knowing that the gates of hell will not prevail. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand. Help your servants as we discuss this. We'd remember that this is your infallible, inerrant, breathed out word and that we are just mere servants. Help us uh, by your spirit to illuminate us so that we can properly honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Well, I was uh, first ordained as a deacon, and this passage was so very encouraging uh, to me as I served in that office. Brother, uh, as, as we come to this passage in Acts chapter 6, where are we, just generally speaking, in church history at this point? Yes, that's a very good question. Well, we're in the time of fulfillment. You know, we're in the time of the last days. In Peter's Pentecost sermon, uh, he tells us this. The last days have dawned uh, with the death, the resurrection, the ascension, enthronement of the Lord Jesus. We, we're reminded of that in Acts chapter 2. Um we're reminded that the Lord Jesus in his uh, risen enthronement has received the Holy Spirit uh, in his fullness, and he's poured out the Spirit um, upon his church. And so he's keeping his promises to build his church, to be with his church always, even to the end of the age. And so the larger uh, redemptive historical context is that we're seeing, especially in the first uh, five chapters of Acts or up to this point, we're seeing how Jesus has promised um, that his disciples, his apostolic disciples and his church founded on the apostles, but his church uh, founded on the apostles would be witnesses first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we are seeing uh, in these first few chapters how Jerusalem uh, is being called to him, that uh, the apostolic witnesses are testifying to the resurrection and the enthronement of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. And so many are coming to faith despite uh, the, uh, the, the the still indwelling sin within the church, despite the uh, conflict uh, that that uh, can arise in the in the churches and the congregation, despite even the persecution, especially the persecution. Uh, Jesus is promising that uh, in this world we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer; we've overcome the world. And so we see that uh, uh, in 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 this larger context. 
well, as we open up any passage of scripture, it's good for us to kind of understand what was going on. What was the particular uh, issue here? Uh, who who were these Hellenistic Jews or, or Grecians, as the King James refers to them? And who were the native Hebrews? What's the problem? Yes, I, th- I think it's helpful to be reminded that some 10,000 people had been added to the Jer- Jerusalem church by this time. And uh, we can say glory to God. You know, we, we might think of what Jesus says in John 14, 12 through 14, that greater works than these will you do. I mean, to see 10,000 added to the church. Well, in adding, it's a great blessing, but there's also can be uh, conflict. There can also be uh, challenges that need to be addressed. And what we're told in this passage, right after we're told that uh, that that the the church continued to increase and grow is that um, as the disciples were increasing, a complaint arose. Uh, the Hellenists, and as I understand it, the Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews, uh, those part of a diaspora or diaspora um, who lived outside of Palestine and who would come to the feasts uh, uh, at the temple. They would they would come uh, singing their Ascension Psalms and come up uh, to the Holy Temple on special feast days like Passover, like Pentecost. And um, and these Hellenists were uh, those who uh, had become uh, believers. We, are, we hear of some of these in uh, chapter 2 of Acts that uh, then the Holy Spirit would use to go back out from Palestine um, into the neighboring lands and uh, would be become church planters. Um, here, these Hellenists were primarily Greek-speaking Jews because they were uh, from a different language, a different location, uh, a different culture. Um, and uh, uh, contra- contrastly, the, the Hebrews were those who were the Palestinian Jews. They spoke Aramaic. And, um, and it seems what's happening here. Uh, we're told is that the widows of the Hellenists, of the Greek-speaking Jews, of those who perhaps had come to live at the temple um, as a kind of retirement in, in as widows uh, in older age, that they were uh, being neglected. I don't think it was intentional, but uh, they were being neglected in this daily uh, distribution. And so the twelve, um, acting as the foundational apostolic, you know, uh, 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 office, uh, acting in that. Apostolic office um, as as Jesus's witnesses, those who uh, had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, had been uh, witnesses of the resurrection. Thus, those twelve summoned the full number of the disciples uh, of the church. They gathered the church together to discuss this matter and to uh, to bring about a, a solution. Yeah, you've, you've described it very well. Lots of people coming into the church and the church being a place where uh, mercy ministries also poured out with the word. And there's a, a, a segment uh, that were not receiving uh, that which they desired and they should have been receiving. So you've explained that very well in this call. When, when you use the word disciples, Mm. Are we to understand that as being just a, a segment, just like when Jesus had his disciples, or was that something larger when he when they called the disciples together? It, it's hard to say, but it seems that uh, it was a, let's just put it this way, it's at least a, a segment of the larger church, that the apostles were acting uh, as Jesus, as 
shepherd, servant, elders um, to bring along uh, the church or to hear from the church or to 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 shepherd the church, to care for the church in in the matter that was at hand. And I think the disciples are just uh, it, it, particularly they're distinct from the 12. And if you notice also, even when uh, later the uh, there, the there's a there's an authority that the 12 has where uh, at the end of verse three, the 12 appoint uh, certain men to this duty. Um, they're asking the congregation, basically, or a segment of the congregation uh, to help them in uh, in providing a solution to this problem uh, that is biblical and that is uh, something that will bring glory to God and 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 will be very useful to the church. Will bring unity and peace. Yeah, and so the apostles uh, direct the congregation, the, this group of disciples, to go and select men. That that is a solution, right? That they would now That's, be in charge of this, and they would address that which was missing. That's right. Yes, yes. It's a it's a, it's a it's a wonderful opportunity to see how though there's a foundational authority of the uh, apostolate or the apostles. There's a um, they've been charged and appointed for a certain task of of shepherding, of guiding, of leading the church. That nevertheless, um, they are shepherding in uh, in 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 being involved in in the 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 matter at hand or the the, the difficulty the sheep are 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 dealing with. They are uh, involved in the congregation. They are listening to the congregation. They are involving the congregation. I think that's a that's a real uh, reflection of the Lord Jesus's character um, in 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 the in the twelve. Yeah, very good. So we see a problem. We see a solution. We're going to talk about some of these details in, in a little bit. But I'd like to kind of get to the what the what is the end of the story uh, yes. as the apostles uh, come up with this idea. They present it to the church. Uh, the church then comes with men uh, uh, to to take care of this problem what's yes. the effect what's what's the end yes. of the story well the 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 apostles particularly the 12 know that their greatest privilege um is to serve the lord jesus but particularly to serve him in a particular way that their primary calling is to devote themselves to prayer and ministry of the word and that's a summary statement in verse four for everything they're involved in, the, the worship of God, the formal gathering of God's people, the, the discipling of God's people, the teaching, the continuing proclamation, the evangelism. So that is summarized in verse four, that their privilege is primarily to devote themselves uh, to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so what they see is good is to pick out from among uh, the the Hellenist, uh, what, what I gather is a, a majority of Hellenists, it seems like they they pick from Greek-speaking men, particularly, but not just because they're Greek-speaking men, but, but they pick up from among you seven men, and they're described this way, of good repute. Uh, they have good reputation among the people. Um, that is, I, I interpret it as they're already um, living and acting as servants. Um, they have a reputation of being Christ-like. There's a certain maturity. Uh, they're full of the Spirit. You know, when you see in the Book of Acts uh, that 
that way of describing full of the spirit. It means someone who's been guided by God's word, someone who's being controlled uh, as a servant of the Lord Jesus, uh, to, to name just a couple of things. Uh, it means someone who is demonstrating love and the character of the Lord Jesus. And, and of course, wisdom. Um, those who will be appointed by the 12 uh, will be those who have reputation. They're known for being filled with the spirit or full of the spirit and his word. And, and they're wise. They know how to very practically apply it. Um, they're involved in the church. Um, they're probably already those that um, uh, that that people uh, have acknowledged as as trustworthy and useful, and uh, have come alongside them uh, in 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 demonstrating a certain wisdom. Uh, the wisdom there, I take it, especially the wisdom of applying God's word, of of fearing God. Uh, uh, with awe and reverence, uh, having a love of God, but also a fear of Him. So that's their um, that that's the 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 wonderful solution is to uh, come up with uh, specific servants whose primary privilege will not be uh, devotion to prayer and minister the word, though there will be prayer. They will be praying men, and they will be those who encourage one another in the word. But they will be primarily those who are the hands and feet of Jesus, the servants of the Lord um, Jesus, and um, will uh, provide uh, in in this um, in this particular instance and in other uh, situations. Uh, they will they will serve tables, which, um, like uh, devotion to prayer and the ministry of the word, um, it, it it means so much more than just merely setting up tables, but the um the serving of the tables uh, has in mind uh, of of the lord jesus I, I think of psalm 23 that preparing uh, a table you know for us in um in the presence of our enemies there it's 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 being a servant of the lord jesus what comes to mind really is how all christians in a general sense are called to this and then some very specifically as we see in here but all Christians are called to be like Jesus is revealed in John 13, as a servant at the table, a servant who washes feet, a servant who um, who, who who seeks to be um, to do the service that's needed, uh, both spiritually and physically. Uh, there's a general sense in which all of us uh, serve in that way. Jesus, in fact, says, if you remember that uh, John 13, he says uh, uh, that uh, a a, uh, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. So these are men who are particularly going to be Jesus-like servants of his table uh, to take care of physical uh, needs primarily, but uh, needs having to do with uh, the physical meeting places, uh, logistics of meeting places, uh, coming alongside uh, those whose privilege is devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word, and uh, and and again uh, to uh, reiterate, being the hands and feet of Jesus, and I think it's useful. This is not original with me, but uh, somewhere in my learning over the years, I re I remember being taught that the apostles and then the office of elder that comes out of the apostles that our privilege as um, ordained officers, particularly in the office of elder. Um, is with the privilege of setting the table of the Lord, um, of coming through prayer and word and uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, communion. 
whereas uh, the distinction with the di- the deacons or the servants that are are chosen here uh, would be that they are charged with um, all the other tables uh, that might be needed uh, to be set up, to be taken down, uh, to be filled with food. And so it's a helpful image to think about the table, setting tables, to think about um, the distinction between uh, the offices uh, that are both very important offices, but are offices that um, are distinguished between the office of elder and the office of deacon. Yeah, so what I hear is that there were tasks that needed to, to be accomplished within the church. The apostles recognized that they had a particular ministry of the word and prayer, and they needed others to to take care of the mercy ministry. Then, obviously, there was a problem that they needed to address. And what a great encouragement that as we get to uh, verse 7, we see that the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. As, as these uh, works, spiritual works, works of mercy are being addressed and well addressed, uh, what a great encouragement to see the church growing. Yes, uh, that seems to be ultimately what God was doing in the midst of them as they sought to address this particular problem, according to His Word. And I agree. we see this great increase. Well, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this aspect, but do you think that this uh, passage here in Acts chapter six is is the beginning of the office of deacon or? Uh, is is there something in the Old Testament that that may uh, be what we might construe as being similar to, or maybe even the beginnings of the office of deacon? What are your thoughts on that? Yes, I I do think this is the beginning of the office of deacon in the sense of the post Pentecostal church, uh, the, the 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 enthronement of the Lord Jesus, the once and for all resurrection and ascension, the once and for all pouring out of the spirit um, on uh, his church, uh, that uh, the, the the time of the last days, the time in, uh, between the first and uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus or the, the ascension enthronement and the second coming of Jesus. I do think that uh, it is the 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 first uh, manifestation of what we would call the diaconate or the deacon uh, that uh, will be further explained uh, in the pastoral letters of Paul, like First Timothy three, Titus one. But I think uh, in many of these situations, and this is just a general rule of hermeneutics and interpretation, I try to remember is when we come to a place like this, we are wanting to see it in the big picture, but we're wanting to remember that in the last days that implies former days. Uh, as the author of Hebrews uh, 1, 1 through 3, reminds us that, uh, that we're part of the final volume, if you will, of, of God's uh, special revelation in the Lord Jesus. We're in the time of fulfillment of the promise, but we can also go to the time of promise and often see certain things in seed form, uh, typological form. And I find in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 3 particularly, but uh, in various places in Numbers, if you remember in the Aaronic uh, priesthood, that uh, what you had was all of the priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. And so you had this priestly office that was given primarily to worship, uh, devotion, to prayer, 
devotion to uh, the word, a devotion to, uh, in that time, the of course, the, the, the sacrificial services within the temple. But you had the Levites who were part of the same family, um, who had a, a, another distinct calling um, as Levites. And, and, and Numbers 3 gives us, I think it's a good place to look as, as, as a diaconate in the seed form. Is it distinct from the priesthood? You have the servants um, who take care of uh, certain needs in the community, physical needs. You have um, uh, those who are serving the, 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 uh, the, the tabernacle, the, the, the physical plant, etc. So I think um, in seed form, uh, you see in uh, the Aaronic priesthood, uh, the, the, the priest being a seed form of what would become elders in the New Testament church, dedicated or devoted, using this language in this passage, devoted to prayer and the ministry of the word, worship, etc. And you have the Levites who were appointed as uh, servants, as a um, as a, a, a servant a diaconate. And, and so when we say that uh, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests, I think in the time of fulfillment, given our uh, what, what's revealed in Scripture, we could say something like this, that, um, that all elders are deacons, but not all deacons are elders. And the reason I make this point and would draw it out even further is at the end of chapter four, right around verse 35, you have before this occasion, before what I see as a fulfillment and the beginning of a diaconate post-Pentecost, um, you have the elders taking care of the needs of the community. You have that at the end of chapter two, at the end of chapter four, you have the elders serving as deacons. And I think that reminds us that ultimately, whether we're talking about the um, the priests or the Levites, wherever they're talking about elders, deacons, it's all a ministry in union with Jesus Christ. Because in a general sense, we're um, we're all to be called to be loving servants, to reflect the good Samaritan, our Lord Jesus. Remember when he said in Luke 10, uh, who was the one who showed compassion? Who was the true good Samaritan? Who is the true um, one who... Uh, loved was the one who showed mercy. And he says, go and do likewise. Hmm. So that's probably a long answer, but I, I've tried to give this some thought and and perhaps that's a, um, I, th I think that's what's going on here. And I think that's a, a helpful, useful way because it, one, it helps us not to uh, think that uh, uh, the diaconate or being a deacon is somehow lesser uh, than an elder, it's just a distinct calling. Um, all Christians, in a sense, you think of the, for instance, the uh, qualifications for elder. Why, that's just a mature Christian. Uh, it's a male Christian, particularly, but it's just a mature Christian. Really, the qualifications, if you think about, um, uh, apart from one, the ability to teach, perhaps. But uh, you think about the diaconate. That's a that's 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 what we're all called to do: is be like Jesus in. Uh, and in and being good Samaritans and showing mercy, uh, showing compassion. But uh, I think one, it helps to see that they're that they're just two distinct callings, and um, and and not something lesser, just different in union with Jesus Christ and a, a special calling and giftedness and grace that's granted by the Holy Spirit 
Two, I also think it reminds us that our elders and our deacons are not only seeking to reflect Jesus Christ, but also to be example to the flock. Um, I, I say this with all reverence and care, but a kind of a, an incarnational imitation to follow to some degree by God's grace. That's excellent. Uh, as we're thinking about the history of the office of deacon, uh, I'm wondering, for the deacon today, uh, how important is it for him to reflect upon this history, whether it be the Levitical history in terms of setting up, tearing down the tabernacle, mm. or, or here in Acts chapter 6, uh, with this, uh, I'm not going to say it's limited, but there is one particular uh, problem that's being addressed. How do these these pictures uh, help a deacon today think about his role, his work in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's an excellent question. So uh, may I address just our deacons, um, just uh, directly to you, brothers. Um, let me say that as those called um, and gifted and graced uh, by the Lord Jesus, I think um, our, but uh, your, for effect here, um, your most uh, important work is, um, is, is daily uh, devoted, um, uh, a sincere prayer uh, to your master and Lord that you would grow through his, uh, his word, be transformed by it uh, so that you could uh, become more and more confidently humble and, and a servant that, uh, that can serve the, the needs of the people in the church, people in the neighborhood, um, people who come to, uh, to the church building uh, to, to seek to find help. Um, you, you can be an example of the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus and, um, and, and, and be a picture of the Lord Jesus as you do that uh, joyfully. And um, what a privilege. It's, um, it's a privilege to serve in that way. Um, I know uh, I, I've served with some really great deacons. I think some of the best deacons I know of, uh, I, I had the privilege to serve with. And, um, and, and there's many I haven't served with, but the, the ones I have served with um, were always examples of, uh, of, of seeking to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, uh, to know how to better be a servant by gazing on the glory of Christ and being transformed by through one degree of glory to the next uh, through the Holy Spirit. Um, they memorized the word. Uh, they, they, they understood that every encounter to meet needs physically was opportunity to tell the gospel. Okay. Um, they always joyfully wanted the church to see uh, the privilege of, um, of taking the towel of our Lord and bowing a knee and washing feet, uh, setting tables, um, uh, doing something a little bit special, not just um, a table just that that will feed and is functional, uh, but one that looks good, one that tastes good, uh, one that will highly exalt uh, uh, the king and to bring joy and happiness uh, to God's people. I think it's the first thing. I think the second thing, and there's many things you can, uh, beloved deacons, look at in First Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I remind myself constantly of the qualifications uh, that, um, that we're called 
to live out uh, in reliance upon God's gift and grace and calling. And I'd, I would encourage you to go uh, return there regularly, but, but just note three things right here in verse three. You want to continue as you serve um, to have a reputation of wanting to exalt Jesus and of service saints. You want to be filled with the spirit, which is found through the devotion to prayer and, and taking to heart the things that you're taught um, uh, through the ministry of the word, um, as you receive the sacrament, um, as you join prayer meetings, um, be full of the spirit, um, uh, always with an encouraging word uh, to show in your, 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 to tell in your lips, but to show in your life um, that, that you truly believe that the Lord um, has enfleshed himself as a servant and has become obedient even unto death, to be filled with the spirit and to be wise. Uh, to seek to give counsel and wisdom um, uh, to elders and to others in the church as is appropriate, and and so um, I, th I think I think that and and then third I would just say you're part of Jesus's mission to extend His kingdom to the ends of the earth and um, to glorify His His name. You're 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 part of Jesus's promise of of um, that that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Um, when, a, when a church is planted, it's wonderful to have two elders. It's even better to have two elders and two or three deacons. And if there's no deacons there, there are elders who have the, the diaconate built in, of course, but it is uh, so rich, so rewarding, uh, such a blessing. And, and verse seven says that the word of God continues to increase at this time it tends to do. That's what causes a churches to multiply is when the elders and the deacons are working together harmoniously, uh, filled with the spirit, seeking to be wise, um, with good reputation of glorifying God and enjoying him and 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 seeking to uh, to to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, working together, uh, serving two different tables, but two very important tables that the Lord Jesus is ahead of both of them. Uh, and then to see how God will bless uh, the, the, the increase, uh, both spiritually and numerically in our congregations. So beloved deacons, you have a high calling, a wonderful calling and such a privilege and opportunity to live it out, to bless uh, the Lord and his people. Well said, well said. I was going to be asking you that question. Uh, what would you say to the deacon who thinks, well, my my role is kind of like the guy who's on the sidelines, and I'm not the quarterback, I'm not in the game, but you've just described it so very well that, in fact, uh, deacons are in the game. Uh, they may be uh, the running back, they, they may be um, uh, on the line, uh, but they're definitely in the game. And so Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate that, uh, that, um, that description. Um, could you just touch upon uh, this idea of uh, being full of the spirit and of wisdom and why it was that the apostles uh, pointed out? They don't point out a lot of qualifications uh, for these men, but that is certainly uh, one of them, full of the spirit and wisdom. Why is it that deacons need to be uh, full of the spirit and wisdom if they're doing uh, physical work, if they're uh, if they're pursuing mercy ministry, what, why is that uh, included here? Well, I think that what comes to mind first is uh, that they have that privileged high calling 
to be like their Lord. And if you remember throughout the servant songs in Isaiah, uh, whether you go to Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, or any uh, of the others, you, you'll find uh, that the Lord Jesus is particularly uh, highlighted as one uh, anointed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Uh, we have in Isaiah 11, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And so I think that what we're being taught here, though we could exegete this and exposit it in quite uh, a bit of detail, the full of the spirit of wisdom is being Christ-like. I'm reminded of what our brother John Owen, our father, brother John Owen taught us, that who you are in secret is who you are and no more. And I would uh, challenge you, encourage, admonish, challenge you and myself that a lot of Christ-likeness is, um, is attitude. It's how you're going about the word. And, and is there a heart full of joy because you have the privilege of, of being united to Jesus Christ, that you've been adopted as his son, that you've been graced and uh, gifted and called to be a deacon? Um, it, that's something that I think uh, must fill our hearts. And, and I think that while full of the spirit and wisdom is getting at uh, being Christ-like, I think there's some very specific ways in which we can draw that out. Full of the spirit is feeding upon God's word for yourself, thinking about it, meditating on it, uh, letting it grow you, believing it, uh, trusting our God, and having a particular joyful attitude in your service. It, not doing it because you have to, but because you get to. You know, you sometimes say in yourself, oh, man, do I have to? You know, do I have to do it? And we want to remember it's not that you merely have to. You get to. This is a big privilege. And so it's an attitude. I'd say the full of the spirit and wisdom is a is a is an attitude like Jesus Christ as you are uh, seeking um, to more and more understand your own union with him and his death and resurrection. The fact that your life is hidden with Christ in God, you've already been raised with Christ, you've been seated with him in the heavenly places, um, you have the fullness of his Holy Spirit, and you're living that out. Um, and and there are, I, I think if, you, if, if, if the full of the Spirit, if we think of it as particularly uh, from the Lord to us in a transformed heart and life that comes forth, I think the wisdom would be in the way that we fear God the way we love him as our father, but also honor him as Lord. And as we seek to then interact, if you will, uh, with his church, with his sheep, um, with with giving our whole heart to whatever situation uh, may call for a little bit of wisdom from above. You know, we don't have all the wisdom in the world, but we do have wisdom. We possess wisdom in Christ and his word. But when we need wisdom, when we lack wisdom, the Bible tells us in James 3 that God uh, is gracious to give that wisdom. And I think a, a diaconate, a, a board of deacons, whatever, a committee, however you call the office of the deacon, the, the deacon gathering, the deacon meeting, when deacons pray for wisdom to help meet a need in the congregation or in the church, the Lord gives that wisdom. And I think the people will rejoice because they'll see that. I know I've experienced that again in my own privileges pastoring at Catoctin is seeing, you know, faithful deacons who have lived out uh, the, these truths of being full of spirit and wisdom. 
Well, as we come to the conclusion, brother, I almost uh, hesitate to ask this question because uh, as I'm listening to you, I'm so encouraged uh, as you're opening up this passage. But if, if you are training up men for the diaconate today, and I know that in your pastorate that uh, you, you certainly have done that, but if you were training up men today, how might you use this passage uh, in addition to what you've already told us as a, as a means of encouragement to them? What comes to mind is that fulfillment of God's promises, that he would be our God and we'd be his people, that Christ has promised, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail, that being a deacon is a privileged call and gifting uh, of a son who has the privilege of knowing God loves him in Christ and has all the resources he needs to serve. And, and to remember that this passage is taking place as part of the fulfillment of Jesus saying, on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail. He's growing his church. He's extending his church. He's blessing his church. And uh, you're a part of that. And uh, I, think, I think that's what I would uh, keep in mind as you are, first and foremost, seeking to glorify God and enjoy him forever in the way that he has called you, the way he's gifted you. I might also add this, and that is sometimes we have gifts, but not much grace. Sometimes the problems in the church can be that we've been gifted to do certain things, and, and, and yet we don't have the grace to use them because we're not growing um, in, a, in a way in the word and through sacrament, through prayer. And I would encourage you that for every day uh, that you awaken, whether as a as first as a husband, a father, um, uh, perhaps a uh, a leader in your community, um, whatever your other vocation may be, um, that you remember the importance of the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. That you don't merely use your gifts; you seek the grace of God to use them humbly, and patiently, and wisely. And lovingly. Dear brother Charles, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to be with us today to open up this passage in Acts chapter 6. It's been a great blessing and, and certainly for me a great encouragement. I'm happy to do it. And deacons, I do hope that this episode uh, was encouraging to you and your labors for the Lord and that you'll uh, be reminded of this great calling that's been placed upon you, and what a great encouragement this passage is uh, as you labor for the Lord Jesus Christ. One last thing uh, to mention uh, to the Presbytery Diaconal Committee members, the OPC Committee on Diaconal Ministries, and the Committee on Ministerial Care are hosting the 5th Presbytery Diaconal Summit in Chicago, Illinois, and that's going to be held November 2nd through the 4th of this year, 2023. Uh, if you're interested, and I hope you are, uh, for more information or to register, go to opccdm.org. And the first two who register from each presbytery will be eligible to have their travel costs covered by the CDM and the CMC. Thanks for joining us. Go to our website, thereformdeacon.org. There you will find all our episodes, program notes, and other helpful resources. And please make plans to join us again next month for another episode of the Reform Deacon Podcast.